Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. As always, want to thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, something that I'm always proud to talk about, but uh, almost embarrassed by how frequently I'm using it in the day-to-day settings. But Louisiana Hot Sauce, big friend and partner to the Nolcast, uh, make everything that we do possible. And uh, with that, Bud, let's jump into tonight's show. Let's do it, dude. So uh, tonight's show is... Basically, a continuation of the last show where we we had some questions, we had some topics we didn't get to, and and I uh, I for one am extremely excited uh, about the fact that we still have content to talk about. There are some lines of media right now where there's not a whole lot of stuff to talk about, and and luckily right now we do have some good stuff to chat about. So just kind of want to give you a quick little uh, little rundown, and just be advised we may chop this show into two different shows and release them both sort of in the the first half of the week, but we have uh, we have comments from David Coburn. We have the new face in the transfer portal, JT Daniels. We have a discussion of the offensive tackle board. Uh, we have another reminder of why games without fans is probably not the best option for college football specifically, so we'll go over that again. I, I thought we went over that maybe, but maybe not. Uh, spring game, uh, the virtual spring game that they held over the weekend, ACT and SAT waiver from the NCAA. Uh, the comments by the PGA Tour, and in the subsequent comments, the the follow up comments there by the PGA Tour commissioner on his radio show, and, and how that might relate to uh, Florida State football and college football in general. Uh, transfer target Bradley King uh, went to Baylor, I believe that was Sunday announcement or Saturday. Some more listener questions here, and then Cam Akers and his draft prospects. So, where do you want to start? You want, you want to start? Uh, you, want, you want to talk offensive tackles? You want to talk JT Daniels? I, I, I almost want to jump off with with, with Daniels here, uh, just because it, it's it's fun to think about, it, right? Uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun to think about, and and talking about offensive tackles is a conversation that I think everybody that listens to Nolcast has had and uh, is aware of some of the concerns. And while maybe talking about the offensive tackle board is a bit reprieve of that, uh, why don't we go ahead and talk about Daniels and let the conversation start there and go where it wants. Sure. So I, th- I think Thursday uh, was the day that JT Daniels jumped in the, the NCAA transfer portal. thought it was interesting that USC put out the, the notice there that, that he was getting in the portal. It was a, a little more supportive of, of a quarterback jumping into the portal than you might otherwise normally expect. And I, th- I was like, well, you know, I think USC does stuff in, in a pretty first-class way, at least uh, on the football side. They've had some recent scandals uh, in, in you know, non-football-related stuff. Uh, and related note, I did interview Clay Helton uh, this week on the 24-7 Sports Social Distance Chat. And, man, he was awesome. He was game for really anything I wanted to ask him. One you just one got to throw him all softballs, but you know, there was some stuff I, I really was kind of curious about. And he was he was cool with it. So to refresh, who, who is JT Daniels? If you're not a recruit, Nick, uh, you can be forgiven for not knowing who this guy is. And especially if you're not a diehard recruit, Nick, you might have missed his recruitment because JT Daniels, is a guy who was in the class of 2018 as a quarterback. So he's in the class with Trevor Lawrence and, and with Justin Fields. But he was not in that class until very late in the process because he was able to actually reclassify and move up to join that class. He was originally going to be a member of the class of 2019. And, and I got to tell you, from a recruiting talent standpoint, dude, JT Daniels would have probably been the number one quarterback in 2019 Maybe in 2020, certainly the year before uh, 18, so 2017, uh, he, he had number one overall player type ability. 
in my opinion. He just happened to be in a year that had Trevor Lawrence and, and Justin Fields within the same year. You might have recalled our, our conversations about how uh, the class of 2019 lacked uh, just a, a total, from a recruit standpoint, like stud QB. And part of that was because Daniels did jump into the class of 2018. Obviously, a lot of different schools out there trying to get involved. Um, Florida State has been pretty adamant publicly, but also kind of privately, that they're not really in the market for a transfer quarterback. I do think that JT Daniels could change that, right? Like I know that they're, they've said yes to the James Blackman and, and, and they have two quarterbacks coming in who are true freshmen, but it's not often that you get a guy on the open market with this level of talent who could be Im- immediately eligible due to the fact that the NCAA is about to vote on this waiver and, and it's expected to pass, who you actually have you know, somewhat of a connection to through, through some of your, your coaching contacts. So would I expect Florida State to publicly court JT Daniels? No. Do I think that they would probably tell you like off the record, eh, I don't know about that because there's no, there's no benefit to being publicly turned down. If, if I was Florida State, what I would do here is I would go after JT Daniels, right? But I would do it on the DL. So if he does pick another school, it doesn't look like it's a public loss for me. Do I think he's going to pick Florida State at this point? Uh, no, I, I I doubt it. And the reason, of course, is basically reliving the whole Jalen Hurts and Justin Fields thing. If you are a quarterback who's got a chance to be a one-and-done, which he does, and go to the league after just one year in Tallahassee or Knoxville or Baton Rouge or wherever he goes, are you really going to pick this offensive line to play behind? I mean, let's let's be real about this. Yeah, he's, he's a kid that's, Done nothing but experience the sport at the highest level. And by that, I mean that he was the, you know, wasn't he like a four-year starter at Matter Day? I don't think he ever lost a game his senior year. Uh, He's just a blue-chip kid from a blue-chip program who is not necessarily going to go somewhere that has a major project when it comes uh, to an offensive line. So, interesting name to see thrown in there. Any uh, reason as to why you think USC was a little more congenial with him Going into the the target or the portal, or how they handled that? Probably a couple reasons. Number one, uh, like I, I know his family is well liked in Southern California. He's he's not like he's not one of these douchebag like prima donna quarterback guys. Like everybody I've talked to him, really really cool, just chill kid. Uh, also, he was the like multi year starter at Modern Day, which is the major major school that, that USC recruits. And and there's no real bit like he probably wasn't going to be the starter at USC if the season had begun on time simply because Keaton Slovis, the, the the incumbent quarterback there, took over for him after he was hurt in the first game of 2019. He really learned that system quite a bit. And remember, Daniels tore his knee up. So if the season starts like September 1, there's no guarantee that Daniels would have been, you know, been ready to roll and, and have a real chance to fight for that job. Uh, and he did leave the door open to coming back. To USC, like that is something I, I think USC is like, yeah, man. Like if you can go find a great spot, okay, we got a guy we like here a whole lot. I mean, it, it, I guarantee USC does not want him to leave. If you want the kid to leave, you don't. You're not putting out the statement first and being real supportive, okay? But yeah, I, I think they're they're very much open to him coming back uh, if if he doesn't find the right landing spot. But he's he's going to be the biggest free agent quarterback out there. Of this offseason, it's it's not Jamie Newman, and I, I I think he might be bigger free agent honestly than KJ Costello, the Stanford QB who went to Mississippi State 
simply because while Daniels could be a one and done, hypothetically, because he, he played 18, 19, this would be his third year out of high school, um, he also could have three years left. Okay, because he's going to take his redshirt for last year. I mean, he's going to be a redshirt sophomore wherever he goes. I mean, that, you don't typically see guys with three years to play who are already somewhat experienced transferring out like that. Could be a one and done. Worth noting that the injury sustained last year was in the season, second quarter of the season opener. So uh, doesn't have a whole lot of experience. But yeah, if a guy comes in, great fit in the system and flashes, particularly somebody that's already sustained a knee injury, uh, no reason to take it off the table. Yeah. When he was their starter in 2018, the as a true freshman, their offensive line was terrible. And the kids coming off an injury. So those are two more reasons to think, other than just common sense, why he might not want to play behind an absolute sieve of an offensive line. But like the kid got hit, right? So that's, you know, probably something you're, you're, why you're, you might be a little protection minded. And then also the fact that he's already gone through a year where he got beat up quite a bit in that 2018 season. This is a kid that I, I would I would go against the hey Florida State doesn't want to go take a transfer policy because I, I think he could be worth what maybe a half win maybe a full win upgrade over James Blackman if he's healthy and things work out and that's a big deal by the way like when Ingram and I talk hey that's a half win upgrade oh yeah yeah anything if we even consider a full win that's that's a big deal yeah like like players are not worth three and four wins over replacement level in, in college football not not in the twelve game season. We got a lot of questions about Florida State's offensive tackle recruiting, which for good reason. I mean, clearly we just had a discussion about JT Daniels and why he might or might not want to come to Florida State. Clearly they have a lot of weapons you'd like to throw to, including Tamari and Terry. Uh, but what was the number one reason why we said he probably wouldn't, would not want to come to Florida State? It's, it's offensive tackle in the O-line, but specifically the offensive tackle position. So a couple of folks wrote in and messaged us and they wanted to know like, hey, what do you think Florida State's offensive tackle recruiting board looks like? And absent one of the coaches sending me a, a snapshot of their board, I, I have to you know, take my, my best educated guess at it by combining my conversations with them uh, and also knowing the kids who they actually offered so far. So uh, it's interesting as well. Josh Newberg put this out, or well, not this out, but something similar on Knowles 24-7. I, I, I kind of grouped it in a little bit different way. So I, I grouped it in, in, in four categories, right? Unrealistic targets. So guys who still talk to you, they're putting you in their top whatever, but you're, you know you're not realistically going, going to sign these guys. Like you're not, you're not close enough to the top. There's no reason to believe you can jump six or seven schools to get to that number one spot. There's no prize for second place. I mean, it's good that they keep mentioning you. That probably helps you recruiting transitively a little bit just by, by having other kids see a five-star guy put that logo in the top. And there's no real, um, there's no real negative to me to continue to recruit these guys. As long as you don't actually do the Willie Taggart thing where you actually believe you're going to sign these guys and you don't move on to a, a or not move on, but you don't transition to a, uh, a realistic backup plan <laughs> until far too late in the cycle. So uh, to me, the, the three that I would say that are uncommitted who are not realistic targets, but who still mentioned Florida State, at least some, would be Amarius Mims, the kid out of Georgia. Florida State is currently sixth for him. He put out a top 10, and in a rare move, he actually ordered that top 10, and Florida State was sixth. So there, like, if he was to cut the top five, Florida State's not making his top five at this point. We can deduce that because we can count, and they're sixth, and there's five teams 
ahead of them. Uh, Tristan Lee, the, the kid from Virginia, who a lot of the schools that are kind of like Notre Dame, Michigan level schools right now are on him, in addition to some SEC schools. I, unless he makes multiple visits to Florida State anytime soon, which um, there's a problem there, right? Because you can't really make visits right now uh, to Florida State or, or to anywhere. I, I don't really see him as being realistic. And, and then J.C. Latham, who we at 24-7 Sports just elevated uh, to one of the top five players in the nation. Um, really special kid at IMG. Used to be a basketball player. But uh, but I, I expect him to commit to Ohio State and, and probably pretty soon. Uh, so those three are, are at the top of their board, but they're not going to be wearing a garnet gold barring some like totally unforeseen circumstance, right? Uh, like maybe if Ohio bans people from from Florida from traveling to Ohio for the next five years, and Latham's at IMG, and it's like, well, okay, that is tough. I, I can't go to Ohio State. Maybe I'll look for a state. But other than that, uh, it's probably not going to happen. Then I think we have a category that most people will be a little more interested in, and I would I would label that category like possibilities, not possible, like not possibilities that you offer, but possibilities that I think you might have some chance to sign. And and even these, I'm not. Like super optimistic about, but I don't think that these are just total pipe dreams. Uh, one would be Caleb Johnson, the off to tackle at, at a Vocala Trinity. Uh, his teammate Jake Slaughter just committed to Fort State, and honestly, like based on my interactions with Caleb Johnson, I would probably have had him in the unrealistic targets area of, of this conversation because when I talked to him, he didn't mention Florida State at all until I specifically brought up Florida State and the in-state schools in my interview with him. He really likes Auburn. He likes a couple other out-of-state schools too. But who knows, right? His teammate just committed to Florida State. This coronavirus thing might have some kids wanting to stay a little bit closer to home. I, I think with those factors there, we know he does like Coach Atkins. He specifically said that once once he was asked about it. And um, he wasn't asked about Coach Atkins, right? He was just asked about Florida State and he mentioned Coach Atkins. And so I think it's fair to put Caleb Johnson, who's that high three-star, low four-star player, in uh, in this category. And then two more I would have would be Bram Walden and McKaylin Pounder, right? Walden, who's out of Arizona. These are guys who, if they don't commit anytime soon, like if they commit soon, it's not going to be Florida State. But these are dudes who I don't think the competition school-wise is, I, I just don't think it's that prohibitive, right, to, to Florida State signing them if FSU was to have a, a like a good year. You know, and I would define good as probably eight wins or better. Um, like that, that, I think that could keep him in the conversation there. Then I have another category, and this is an interesting one to me. And this is uh, quote unquote offered, but are they takes? Right. So you have did we uh, did we cover the pounder kid out of Mississippi? Yeah, that that's a kid who as well. Like if you look at his offer list right now, what you don't see is you don't see like a Bama, Georgia, Clemson, LSU pushing for him right now. It's kind of the the weaker half of the SEC West when you look at who's after him for the most part. It's the Arkansas, the Miss States, Ole Miss. Um, I know LSU's listed there, but it doesn't seem to be a strong strong offer at this point. So yeah, that when when I was looking at these kids and the again the people that Florida State would have to beat uh, the the is it Makalon Pounder? Is that how you pronounce? I, I said McKaylin, but but I, I could be wrong. I've, I've never actually met the guy. <laughs> Makalon. Makalon. <laughs> 
But <laughs> hey, I mean, McKaylin could be wrong too, right? Like, uh, yeah, but Makalon is just uh, more likely than not me being silly. So, yeah. For our non-visual listeners, uh, this is spelled M-A-K-Y-L-A-N. So it's not a, it's not the most natural of names to say when you look at it. It could be either way. And he's from Mississippi. So, like, additionally, never write it off. All right, Ingram, let's, let's pause real briefly here to bring you a message from Travis Johnson. Travis Johnson is a longtime sponsor of the Nolcast and a proud supporter of ours. He's also a board-certified family law expert. There are 110,000 attorneys in the state of Florida, and less than 0.002% of them are board-certified in family law. That means when you call Travis Johnson at 850-435-9919, you are getting one of the very few experts in the field of family law in the state of Florida. That, that's a pretty big deal. And here's Travis's message to you. We know this is pretty trying time. So Travis writes, I hope everyone's staying safe and healthy during this pandemic. Hopefully the measures being taken across the state and country will limit the scope and duration of the current problems. However, these same measures have already resulted in millions of people being laid off, furloughed, or losing their income, with more sure to come. No one knows how long the situation will last. But if you have a child support or alimony obligation, you need to know that the requirement for you to pay support does not automatically change when your circumstances change. It's important to seek a court-ordered modification of your child support or alimony payment as soon as possible, as any reduction can only be made retroactive to the time of the filing. Travis will actually offer you right now a free consult and will work with you on flexible rate payments. So check that out. If you call Travis, 850-435. 9919. Free console and flexible rate payments. We know a lot of y'all have changing circumstances. Please take that number down again, 850-435-9919. You might not need it today, but it's great to have when you do. And we thank Travis for support of the show. All right. So uh, then my next category here is one that I'm sure some people would disagree with me about, but I, I, I think I'm speaking from a, a fairly informed standpoint here. Um, I had this category down as, as offered, but like, are they takes? If they wanted to commit right now, would would they be a take? And the first one is George Jackson from up your way uh, in in Stone Mountain. Um, he's a guy who is is pretty heavy at this point, and there are some, some people who cover Florida as well who aren't sure that he's going to end up in the Gators class, despite the fact that he's committed to them. Uh, I I don't know. Like, maybe he can play off to tackle in, at, at the ACC level. Certainly, if he gets in better shape uh, that that would improve his odds. But I don't know if that's a, a guy that Florida State would would really be going hard after at this point. Uh, and then the other is Micah Pettis, right? And this, this one I am speaking from an informed perspective on. Micah Pettis is a player out of Alabama who Florida State uh, kind of you know threw an offer or uh, at least a camp offer on. And they really wanted him to come to camp over the summer to see how he moved and to see how, how he bends. Because the, the frame is intriguing, but uh, the movement profile on, on tape sometimes could leave a little bit to be desired. And that's a player that the coach is, is going to want to take a look at and say, hey, can can this guy bend? And when uh, when Bud says the frame is intriguing, he's like 6'8", 320. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, he's a big boy, real big boy. And he does like Florida State, right? Like I, I think if Florida State really pushed for Pettis at this point, they could probably get him. They're, they're just in this weird spot now. Like, should they push for him? Just to get a, a tackle equipment on the board, I I don't know. Like they they don't know if he can move because they haven't had a chance to watch him in person. They, they they've seen his film and they've probably rewatched his film 
half a dozen times. I mean, they're not really doing a whole lot else right now as far as recruiting stuff goes. You just got to keep watching the film and see what else you see. Have some guys cross-ref these positions and have some different coaches and analysts go over them. But like, this is a, a weird spot for them because they haven't seen him in person. And guess what? There's not going to be any camps on campus, at least. Like, I wouldn't totally rule out Elite 11 or somebody doing something very end of summer, you know, like end of July. But Florida State, Florida State is, is, uh, has canceled events through August 2nd. So there, there will be no like Mike Norvell football camp in June or July of this year. It's, it's not going to happen. Um, so that, that's kind of an interesting category there. And if you, if you've been listening to me rattle these off, uh, I, you're probably like, well, bud, um, who, who are they going to get? And so given the lack of, of chance to evaluate these players in person, um, there are two guys who I've actually, I've seen one and the other one I've seen on, on, on his huddle who I think might be worthy of an offer or at least a deeper look. And so if you are sitting at home during the quarantine and you're like, man, I'm really, really bored, I'm going to throw you two names here. Uh, the first is a guy named Garner Langlow. Uh, he is the other tackle on the Ocala Trinity team. So that's a pretty damn good offensive line, right? To have three guys who are either floor state quality or or borderline floor state quality with Jake Slaughter, who is committed, and with Caleb Johnson, who we spoke about a couple of minutes ago. Langlo actually, to me, did a really nice job at the Under Armour Orlando camp. Now, he is not as physically developed as his uh, his bookend tackle mate, Caleb Johnson. Uh, but I thought he was light enough on his feet, thought he had some length, and he's got a frame. He's probably six four and a half, six five. Who could add? It, it could really add some weight. So that, that's a guy, I know he started to, to pick up some additional interest. I know Auburn has been interested in him. Um, he's a dude I think I would actually probably go ahead and offer. Especially because, like, you just, who knows what this season's going to be? And he's an in state kid. The other guy I think is really intriguing is a player. And this is, this is kind of an interesting film to watch. And I got tipped off to this one. Rod Orr. Okay. Rod Orr is a, a guy out of Gadsden, Alabama, who is about Micah Pettis size and moves, I, I think, just as well, if not better. Now, Pettis is a little bit heavier than Orr is. Orr is a little more of a, a projectable. Uh, type guy as far as you know, having to think about how big he's going to be, but I, that that's two names that I, that I would go look at. So that that's as far as I can tell, where Florida State sits with their offensive tackle board. Um, and other, aside from that, they're going to have to go go to the junior college ranks. I think if, if they want to get this thing, they want to get this thing fixed in uh, in twenty twenty one. Yeah, Orr's Orr's a real intriguing name. Prototypical body when you're looking at like six seven. Uh, Low two seventies, former basketball players, relatively new to the sport. A guy that uh, you know, big names aren't in on. You're looking at like Minnesota, Old Miss, uh, Missouri, USF at this point in time. That uh, yeah, that that's a, a real intriguing prospect and a, a guy that I think is kind of in the area to which Florida State can be a very legitimate contender. I don't know about about Missouri I, with their new staff. I'm trying to th- trying to think back to what they did at App State, but. Uh, with Minnesota staff, they are not afraid to trust their own evaluations and and to go after guys. And look, with them, there's no risk, right? Like Rod Orr, the the bar to clear to get a Minnesota offer is a little bit different than it is to get a, a Florida State offer. Uh, but if you think back, like Rashad Bateman, who is probably the best receiver in, in the Big Ten, 
is a guy that Minnesota got on way early and PJ Fleck got them all brainwashed and Florida State went after him and Georgia went after him late, like too late in the process. And he stuck with the Gophers. Uh, and then also, do you remember the linebacker named Gordon at a Plant City from the class of 2019? Uh, not immediately. No, I don't. So he was at a Plant City. Florida State was, was trying to get him. And ultimately, he ends up sticking with Minnesota. And this is a kid that I, I, I expect Florida State to be able to flip. I mean, this is, this is Raymond Woody's territory there in Tampa. And uh, they weren't able to do it. He ended up sticking with Minnesota. So certainly the, the Gophers have a pretty good track record of identifying talent early and getting on it. And uh, Rod Orr is a guy that, that everybody should probably go and, uh, and watch. Um, speaking of watching, I, I really hope that we have something to watch this fall. Starting to get concerned, man. Uh, starting to get concerned. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll let the comments of uh, athletic director Coburn speak for themselves. We'll give you a better idea as to what he said, but um, yeah, it just, it's oh, since the last week or so that we've talked about, I think it's only uh, the pessimism is, but trending as far as when you get Florida or when you get Florida state football, when you get college football in general, and maybe what part of the calendar it might appear. But uh, just to give you an idea as to what uh, athletic director Coburn said recently is that we are planning to develop several different budget scenarios for next year. I don't think any of them will be pretty. One of them will be a scenario without football, and I would just say, God help us if that's the scenario. Uh, Coburn estimates that each ACC school will lose between 2.2 and $2.5 million from the lack of ACC and NCAA basketball tournament money uh, he also um, did not present a potential loss <laughs> of a football season. And uh, as Bud and I have talked about in other places, if for whatever reason college football gets taken off the board, then, yeah, you're, you are very much in the sum of all fears type of area when it comes to funding college athletics in general. Yeah, so some of these comments were, uh, uh, were, were really you know, certainly concerning. Um, Coburn added, it's like, look, these are – Current cost-saving analysis underway both here and the AC level. The AC has set up a working group to explore the possible uh, conference-wide initiatives for departments and entire sports to potentially save money across the board uh, for all teams. And uh, these, in- these would include things like travel, scheduling, guidelines, practices. Uh, there's also potential across the board in the like cost-saving changes coming, and I don't uh, know what those look like, but we're anticipating those. Uh, so uh, interesting to actually note here this article from the Democrat, uh, FSU coach Mike Norvell is part of the ad hoc committee the ACC has launched to prepare for the possibility of a spring football season if it comes to that uh, and the hurdles that would come with that. Uh, I, I think I've, I've previously mentioned on the podcast uh, that I interviewed an athletic director uh, a week or two ago now, and uh, I asked him specifically, I said, what is the, like, the last date that you think you could actually start the season? And he said, I, I don't have a good answer for you there. He said, I think the prudent approach is to give you the last date which we could actually decide the national champion with the playoff and then work backwards from there. Uh, and he basically said that we could, we could have the, the national championship game in April and make that work just fine. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, and I think that's, that's a sentiment that you will start to see bandied about as a possibility. I'm not going to say that's what's going to happen. Let me be real clear here. That is a possibility being discussed. I know that for a fact that they are actually discussing that as one of these scenarios. Now, if you back count this logically, if you say like mid-April is your, your championship game, 
and you want to still play 12 games of football, which takes about plus, you know, plus your, your conference championship games and, and your two weeks of playoffs, you basically need to start the season by the second week in January if you want to go with no bye weeks. If you want to have a bye week, you might need to play your championship game somewhere like the April 20s, right? Or like maybe April 30th. Um, the key here is that they don't want their student athletes to be playing a championship game in May and not have a, a, a not have an appropriate level offseason or length offseason in order to get prepared to play a contact sport again. Um, but the real concern, let's be real here, this college football is a business, is that they get they get these games in and then they get they get their money. Because if they don't, like David Coburn said, uh, God help us if they don't get their football money, and that's that's what they really have to have. Um, so I know that's a scenario taking place. Uh, we've previously discussed that uh, co- college football specifically is not a great fit for playing without fans. And this is something Ingram and I have joked about, around about a lot on the phone. This is also what the conference commissioners told Vice President Mike Pence, right? They literally said, like, playing in empty stadiums for us is not a realistic option. Now, the reason given for this was interesting. They said it it took away from the college feel, you know, and, and really the, the fans make these games. And they're not wrong in some ways. Now, this is not the real reason why they don't want to do this, but they're not wrong. Like, yeah, I mean, having Dope Campbell Stadium packed out with 83,000 or what, do you know what the new capacity is off the top of your head? It's like 79 something. I thought it was high 78. Okay. Yeah. But uh, wherever, I mean, yeah, 70 plus, 75 plus. I think for Nolcast purposes, we're just going to call it 80, like for, with 80,000. I mean, maybe, maybe if they just fire code that thing, they can get to 80 somehow. Um, you know, maybe on, on a huge game, like having Dope packed out, is an awesome thing. Right. And, and they're not wrong about that, but, the real reason why they don't want to play college football in empty stadiums is this. It's not a great position to have to argue from when you're saying that these are not employees or just college students who happen to play a game for scholarships, right? Not actual payment, not, not employees. And you're just saying these are regular students and they're cool to play and they're cool to, to travel and do all this stuff. And, and they're cool to have a couple hundred people involved in putting on these games all, all within close contact and swap spit and blood and, and sweat and all that stuff that, that happens during the course of a, football, of a football game, but that it's not safe for regular college students to be in classes or in the stand. That's the one thing. I've talked to a couple of athletic directors now and they're all like, you know, off the record type stuff, but they're like, yeah, dude. I mean, think about how that would look for us. We, we don't want to have to be defending that, 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 that decision in court cases and hearings for years to come. So that that's like a real nuclear option. I'll never say never, but I think the word college in the phrase college football is just as big of an impediment to playing empty stadium, you know, sports as the word football is. Yeah, it's uh it's just a different world and the the idea uh, now football is protected because they don't have anything like this, and and with the XFL crashing, there's nothing that would even come on the the radar. But um, like what's happening with the with the G League about possibly taking elite kids? I just think all of amateur athletics right now is on very shaky footing in general, and uh, I don't know that you'd be able to, like you said, I don't know that you could tell 
anybody with a straight face that, you know, Susie couldn't go to science class, but the linebackers needed to, you know, go through tackling drills because because of the pageantry, bud. That's why. I think uh, when you're looking at a time schedule, I think the best case scenario is late October, early November at this point. I really do. Uh, and we'll see what happens. I think the idea of spring football, uh, the possibility of it is is growing uh, growing uh, rather rapidly. You decided kind of a mid-fall timeline. I, I want to ask you, like, in what scenarios, and I'll lay a couple out, do you think that would work? And what scenarios do you think that would not work? Because to me, and, or just, and like, I, we haven't discussed this, so there's a good chance I'm just off the cuff here and, I, and I'm totally off. I don't know that you can have like an October 1 start unless you are having students back on campus like September 1 to start fall semester, right? Unless maybe you do this thing where you're like, hey, we're going to do, like everybody's going to enroll for fall semester. They're just going to take the first first four weeks online just to be safe, right? And then we will, like, we'll have everybody come on campus October 1. Or maybe they just say, hey, we're going to adjust the, the, the fall and spring semester dates. And for this year, uh, fall semester is going to start October 1. Just because, like, let's be real here. These, at, these universities, they need that dining hall money and that, that dormitory money. And like they, they need those kids not to be online. Hell yes, they do. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, everybody needs for this process to, to start flowing again. And we're not all trying to sound like uh, Mike Van Gundy, but it's just the, it's just the truth. Uh, you know, you got to have something like this. And I think whereas uh, normal, you know, barriers would be there. I think there'll be a level of flexibility with everything as far as, uh, academic scheduling, uh, when classes start, breaks, when they're taken historically. Uh, I think everything is on the table to try to have a full semester of, of college as soon as possible. Is there any way in your mind that we could play fall college football if it is announced that all classes for the fall will be online? No, I, uh, those two are, can't coexist, in my opinion. That's kind of my thought, too. I, I um, just thinking about it, I was like, okay, I just, I don't see how that would, how that would work. You know, um, the only way I think you could maybe do it right is if you get states, it would have to be basically like all the states within a conference, but, or at least the states involved in playing ball who said, okay, you can have a gathering of like 500 or fewer people. Okay. Cause if you say that, you can make that happen, right? You can gather with 500 people and then you can sort of argue, all right, look, this is not really a, an issue of where we don't, we don't, it's not like, oh, hey, we believe that, that it's unsafe for students to be in the stands, but it's safe for our, our athletes to be on the field. It's just like, we, we only get to use 500 people total, right? And so about 250 of that is going to be taken up by personnel Okay, and so like but between the two teams and, and broadcast crew and all that kind of stuff, and probably three hundred to be to be real. I mean, what are we going to do? Allow two hundred students into the stadium by some random lottery? Maybe, uh, which they could do just just for kind of token value. And and, and I, I think actually, if you're trying to maintain that argument, that would be probably smart to do. But I think if the states specifically give the schools an out, right, to where they say, hey, you cannot have more than five hundred people at a gathering or something, 
which sounds kind of a weird, arbitrary number. Like so far, I've seen 50 and 100 as suggestions. I don't know. Like 500 seems like a bunch as far as the regulation. Scotland did 500 for about a week. They did? Yeah, they did. Did it work? No, no, it was hilarious. And, and the day before they enacted it, they were going to have an old firm game of 53,000 people in, in a stadium. And, uh, and so they ended up having to change it. But uh, yeah, 500 was thrown out there for a little bit. So like maybe, you know, possibly if... Uh, if that's something that that if if they could be saved by the regulation, um, but let me throw this at you too, and just while we go down this road, and I I don't want to talk COVID the whole show, where the whole show's uh, we're, we're thirty five minutes into this, so pretty good chance that we're going to split this into the two shows because we're less than halfway done. There's a chance we don't play, and I don't think this is going to happen, but I think it's a possibility. There's a chance we don't have a college ball playoff in the 2020-2021 season. Right. Like there's a chance that some areas and some states are not going to play ball with getting people back to work. And you might have like conference only play or even like kind of a rewritten schedule to where it's like, all right, uh, the governors of Florida, Georgia, Alabama, some southern states and a couple states in the Midwest say it's good to play. And other states say no. Right. Like what's going to happen with New York? And I'm not trying to get all pandemic and epidemiologists on us here, but you're going to need basically buy in from all of the governors and all of those university presidents of those schools in order to get national college football back on its feet. All right. Bud's recording the Nolcast is brought to you by Resolution Home Loans. The guys at Rezo, Shannon Young and, and Chad. They've been killing the loan game for a long time. I got my home loan through them and my refi through them. They are literally experts here in the the mortgage field. Super happy with how my refi just went with them. We know a lot of Nolcast listeners also have just done their refis as well. Uh, But now we also want to let you guys know about something else, and that is potential uh, to unlock in your home as a way to, to handle some debt, right? Credit cards may not be the right answer for you. Unlocking some of that equity you, are, you already have in your home might be a much better and smarter option. Call them 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. Tell them Bud and Ingram, Ingram sent you and you may be able to get out of a tough situation by unlocking some of that equity in your home or you know, like, like their, their existing products already. Their mortgage and the refi are also great. Yeah, and another point that you made on a previous podcast, and I think it's worth reiterating, is the um, your whole scheduling model is blown the hell up the second one of these kids tests positive. Uh, so you you know you're gonna have to spend that team for two weeks. You're gonna have to shut down the team they played, and then all of a sudden that you know kind of spider webs itself throughout the the other teams that those have played, and uh, it's just going to be an absolute mess. But uh, certainly, I think we're in agreement that. College football of some shape or form will, will almost have to be played this year. Um, or at least, uh, you know, it may not be in the 2020 year, but uh, within this academic, this upcoming academic calendar, uh, I certainly think that they're going to find some way at some point in time to get college football in. And that that's the feeling from, I think, everybody we talk to. Like, it's that important to get the money for, for these universities as they get closer to sort of the doomsday scenario. I think they will compromise some of their, uh, I don't want to say ethics, but some some of their values might be a little more compromised as, as that as they t- tick closer to the like the oh my gosh it, it, it's February we have got to play some kind of season we've got to get some kind of money 
rolling in here. Um, I want to kind of bump up one thing we had on our list to, to wrap up this discussion before we get to the virtual spring game and the marketing. And that is the comments of the PGA Tour commissioner. PGA Tour released a thing that they would, their, their goal is to be back by like June 8th. And I was like, oh my gosh, I might really have to have to pull that trigger on, on that, on that flat screen and, uh, and, and upgrade because I'm going to be so excited to watch sports again. Oh boy, there are some deals that can be had right now too, my friend. Oh, yes. I was looking at like, like an 82 incher for, uh, for, for like 1500. Consumable or, you know, any kind of spending power right now is only magnified by those that are desperate to sell you anything. So, uh, yeah, your purchasing power goes a long way right now. Did you see the follow-up comments by the PGA commissioner? Yeah, I did. I did. And I, it took me. <laughs> I, I mean, like, that's oh, the t- if, if we're going to see any sport in the near future, it's going to be like golf or air riflery or something like that. Something where you just have <laughs> single individuals. Did you, uh, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say that I watched some Taiwanese baseball uh, a couple of days ago. That was, was fun. It's fun just to see anything live. We had the Belarusian soccer league go on for about two or three weeks to win everybody else in the world refused to play sports. And he was like, no, not stopping. Yeah, that was, that was wild. Taiwanese baseball with robots in the stands. It was, it was cool. It was cool. I haven't got to see it yet. Uh, I do have some buddies who have been betting on the Madden simulations that are being played. And one of the big gambling podcasts reported that one of the big offshore books uh, got $200,000 in handle on a Madden, like literally the computer simulating a Madden game. Uh, so people are, uh, People, people have a hankering to, to get some action. The, co- the follow-up comments by the commissioner of PGA Tour struck me. He's like, yeah, that's the goal. And this was on the PGA Tour Sirius Radio. He's like, yeah, that's definitely the goal. And I think it's very possible as long as we have widespread instant testing. I was like, oh, okay. So it's quite the qualifier, sir. Yeah, but that's only like six weeks away. Right. That, that they would need to have that ready. So I don't know if that's that realistic. And, and your point of, Hey, like once somebody tests positive for this, you would need to quarantine everybody for 14 days. Under the current structure, yes. If you have the widespread instant testing to where it can show a positive even for people who are asymptomatic, potentially no, right? Like you could just basically test every single day. This is the other thing too. Like you might, baseball was exploring the option of maybe quarantining everybody involved and putting in baseball games and just playing like self-enclosed city there in Arizona to where everybody involved in the games would just be stuck in hotels and all they do is just play baseball and go back, uh, which for the whole season would be kind of terrible, but for six weeks for those kind of paychecks, I think everybody would probably do it. But even that is not super realistic. And I don't know how realistic it is to do that, A, with football because the size of the roster, and B, to put up college kids in hotels for like weeks on end and and play a whole season. So they're, ah, man, this is my favorite sport. and. It just annoys me that the logistical and also the sort of hypocritical challenges of doing this and playing under, under the charade of, of amateurism. It makes this a little trickier than almost any other sport I can think of coming back. Uh, it's, it's just a logistical nightmare uh, as far as the number of people that are involved uh, and then only further enhanced and complicated by the fact that technically you're talking about full amateurs here. We'll see. It's something we'll continue to follow, you know, the... Part of the challenge right now is everybody's concerned about this. Uh, people who don't normally talk to me about college athletics are talking to me about calendars and when kids might be coming back. Um, and we'll see. We'll see where the direction of the story goes. But for the past week, it has only been concerning as to the kind of the 
echoes that I've heard from afar as far as the likelihood and uh, or, or at least the likelihood remains positive, but when it will take place, uh, some some dates are starting to get thrown out there that are uh, uh, what I'd not otherwise Let's do the heard. Spring game, the the virtual spring game that took place. Uh, what with uh, with old Wally Ami and Coach Atkins. Yeah. So, did you watch this? I didn't, man. I uh, I've enjoyed how much run two thousand football uh, two thousand fourteen NCA has gotten recently, and how many people have jumped into it. Uh, but no, I can't say that I watched this. I actually played Madden recently uh, against uh, one of my uh, good friend's sons. We socially distanced uh, because he had the wireless controllers and they had it on, on the TV on their RV, you know, so I could stand away. Uh, and I skunked him 21 nothing past the sticks, and I haven't played in probably three, four years. He was disappointed because he, he was playing that quarter defense stuff where you have like eight defensive backs on the field. I could look over and I could see what he's picking. I was like, all right, well, uh, I'm going to run two tight ends with, with the uh, with, with the Eagles, and uh, we're, we're, we're going to run that ball. And, uh, and it was solid, but a gap. Anyway, make that 12 year old stop the run, bud. Good, dude. No doubt. Yeah, like that. You got you got to play inside out. I thought this was kind of a cool concept, right? This is like, and and my thing is, why not? Now, the last administration at Florida State tried some stuff that the answer to why, like, if you ask the question, why not? The answer should have been obvious. For instance, why not put wide receiver gloves on a bell K for a graph? Well, okay, there, we have a pretty good reason why to not do that. But here, this is a fun thing. Like, a, did, did they explain why they picked Coach Atkins and, and, and Wally Ime? Uh, if they did, I'm not aware of it. No. I, I assume it's because both those guys can actually play. We, we know Florida State has had, had Coach Atkins match, matched up in matchups against recruits, and uh, that was part of that story I wrote about you know, Florida State being creative and using the video games to recruit. But this was kind of cool, right? They, they, had the, they had the actual rosters filled out. Uh, I saw some of the clips. on. Like, I didn't actually watch it live, but I saw some of the clips online. And they actually, uh, they had programmed the rosters to have the players' names on there, which normally is like a huge no-no for the schools. But uh, I guess that's only a no-no if it's like a current game coming out. I mean, if it's a historical simulation, maybe it's a, a little different. And that's, I think that's fine. Um, I, th- I thought it was cool, right? Like that Julio McCray uh, picked off James Blackman on probably an ill-advised pass. So there was some realism uh, associated with with the game. And uh, looks like, uh, looks like, like Wally, I made, uh, jumped out to a pretty good lead. Did, did he end up holding on? I, I didn't get to see the final result. Uh, I thought Atkins won, but again, this is not something that I, uh, I can say that I watched with a you know, magnifying glass over. I think this is a good example of when two podcasters assume that at least one of the two uh, did watch the fake spring game. Well, if uh, NoCast listeners, if I do fall or fail you, let it be that I did not watch a uh, recreated video game from six years ago uh, on a Saturday night. There, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of coverage of this, by the way. And so I was laughing at myself for trying to Google the and find the result of this. I'm going to go to Knowles247.com because like, we, we cover everything there. So if we don't have the results... Uh, oh, yeah, I've got highlights here from the... Hi- we have highlights from the, uh, the virtual spring game. So the gold one, so Ame, uh, yeah, uh, Atkins took a seven-point loss, it looks like. Oh, so he uh, came back some. 45 to 38. Pierce, that was, uh, it's a nice game. For those who are concerned about this, the co-MVPs were Jordan Travis and one Jay Sean Corbin. 
We'll use this time to thank our friends at Madison Social and For the Table Restaurant Group. Uh, As always, want to encourage you to take a look at their merchandise page. If you have an opportunity to support them from afar, we would encourage you to do so. Uh, Curbside pickup is something that they've uh, implemented and uh, by all accounts seem to be doing exceptionally well. And then um, we mentioned this on the past last podcast, we'll have more updates for you. Uh, but it does sound like we'll be doing some kind of trivia night with them uh, coming up here shortly. And then want to point you in the direction of their new website. It is ordermadso.com. So uh, if you are doing the curbside pickup, if you are reaching out to our friends for any kind of catering, anything like that, I encourage you to go through that website uh, or just uh, call and ask uh, to speak with some piece of leadership there, and uh, they'll be happy to help you in any way possible. So I, I do have to point out here that uh, Coach Atkins, under the rules, should have passed the sticks because he was down 28 uh in the second quarter. And how we play, if you're down 21 nothing, it's you, you got to pass the sticks. So I, I would have liked to see Coach Dillingham or like somebody else should, should have probably taken this over. I mean, 28 nothing is, uh, is is well past uh, past the sticks time. If if we're like if we if you guys play different rules as far as the sticks, let us know. But uh, twenty eight nothing. I mean, coach, that's to me that's that's fair game for uh, for next. Well, I'm sure EA's famed uh, dynamic difficulty adjustment kicked in there and uh, brought it together. Nice little game and creative for Florida State to do, and uh, not something immediately tied to the spring game, but just in general. Uh, and and I tweeted this out yesterday after seeing the the graphic that they did, uh, and that was I realized that was part of Seminole Productions and the social team, and uh, Seminole Productions aren't exactly the same thing, but I do think that it's safe to say that the entirety of social seems to be in much more competent hands recently. And, and uh, you know, Florida State doesn't necessarily deserve to have the best social team in the world, uh, but they do deserve a team that, you know, puts the university out in good light and uh, does well by it and isn't constantly creating, you know, self-inflicted wounds or unforced errors or whatever else. And it appears as though social is in much more capable hands. And I've got to say that while, you know, it would occasionally create great content for us to joke about, uh, you know, seeing the university not be its own worst enemy is a, a nice thing. Totally agree. By the way, uh, the 2014 game featured the old uniforms in it. So most of the comments on the coverage that I can find uniform talk on the game is basically people saying, thank God for the old uniforms. When are they going to go back to the old uniforms? Thoroughly enjoyed it. Want to thank all of our sponsors again. Uh, appreciate the support that we've received uh, from you, the listener. If you get a chance to give us a five-star review, always appreciate it. If you have a chance to leave us another one, even better. Look forward to doing this again soon. And uh, from Bud and I, as always, thank you, and we'll talk to you soon. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles. Go Knowles.